Welcome to the Tatum and Pearson podcast, bringing you all the latest news and opinion from the world of Speedway. It's out of the top drawer. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, as always, with our good friends at True Plant. Uh, today, we've got Carl Stone here with us. I, I reckon he's a cult hero in, uh, in Speedway terms. Hi, Carl. I hope you're well. How are you doing, boys? I'm fine, thank you very much. All good, all good, Stoney. Nice to meet yeah, you. Hey, you rang me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> nice of you to nice of you to accept our invitation. I didn't you name Nigel. I thought, don't answer it, Carl. Don't answer it. You're going to be roped into summer. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I ring you, I want something. Exactly. Ring you just to be it's just the way he is, mate. I've had to work with him solidly for the last 20 years, mate. He's never like, Kelv, can I do something for you? Kelv, he wants something from me. He's the same with everybody. He so wants a favour like of everyone. Yes, he does. I don't remember owing you this favour, though, Nigel. No. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You gotta dig deep for this one, mate. Yeah. You owe me. Right. Anyway, look, I, I, I'm gonna dive straight in. I'm gonna say, well, um, I was just looking back and doing a bit of research on your career, and I've got to say that Anders Henriksen, I feel sorry for him. I think that your reaction at Small Meat that night, I think it was a bit over the top, Carl myself. Um, I think that you mentally scarred him. I think it was an innocent, it was an honest mistake that poor young man made. <laughs> <laughs> Anders, Henri Anders Henriksen was a bane in my side wherever I went he was there right and right. he just edited for me he just and it, but it had gone on for a fair few years well before that night at Reading it had it had gone on well before 1997 when I rode at Sheffield because obviously well he put me in the fence at Sheffield and I um uh, was running up the straight to go and confront him at the pit's gate. <laughs> and on, and on the way, I seen a shovel <laughs> and I thought, I don't know why, but I picked the shovel up and carried on running. I remember it. And the yeah. late Paul Fry rugby tackled me the bugger. Right? So I couldn't get to him. It's a good job he did, actually, because <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. I was that angry. I looked, and my bike was just oh, swearing. Absolutely brilliant. It had gone on for years and years, yeah. this rivalry. But, you know, I, I, I get the feeling, Carl, that you, you did something to upset him, mate. I'm sorry, because, you know, I know he, he, he was chasing you down everywhere you go, but he must have had a reason. You must have I done hadn't done. I hadn't done nothing, but I spoke to his teammates and his teammates said, that's just the way he is. He does it towards every meeting. Right. right. Well, now, whether he was, that was the way he rolled or he did have something against me. Anyway, I, I passed him at Smallmead that night. And then he come diving underneath me, going into the pits bend, and we both ended up on the bloody dog track. Yeah. And I, enough was enough. I, looked, <laughs> I got up, yeah. and I, enough was enough, and I went over and hit him. Yeah. Well, he, okay, well, that doesn't make you and, a very, no, very... And you know what? Actually, in that meeting, Anders Henriksen got excluded from that race. I got... Uh, £300 fine, but I also got an 18-point maximum. Wow. 
Fair play. <laughs> so are you saying it Fair was worth it? It was worth every penny, was it? <laughs> it was, actually, because we're still telling stories about it now. We are. There's also pictures of you actually wrestling with the track staff on the infield as well. So you obviously, you obviously were really furious. You didn't could, didn't just take it out on him. I think obviously no, the, maybe thing, the, track the thing was, Kelv, right? I was walking back to the pits, and mm-hmm. that member of the track staff was having a pop at me, and I told him to be quiet at least <laughs> ten times, and he still was having a go. I said, "I've warned you. I've warned you." And now I knew he was an old boy, and I'm not a violent person. I didn't want to get into anything, but he was taunting me. He was just getting into me, and I was angry. So I walked over to him and got him in an headlock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> effing mouth. I remember once I got angry at uh, Bradford. And uh, with the referee, he excluded me for something. It was just outrageous. And I, do you know what? I ran up in the stadium there above the start line. You can yeah, picture I got it, Bradford. Yeah, the yeah, way Bradford, up there, Kelv. It was the way I was huffing and puffing. I, to be honest, I, I was so out of breath by the time I got there, I couldn't speak to him. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, I was fuming. And there was a, there was a lady, an old lady, sat on the end of the row, and she had a go at me. And I was, oh, do you know what? I, I, I had to hold myself back from fucking giving her a clout. I mean, it was just when you when your blood starts boiling like that, it, it yeah, heat of the moment re- takes over, doesn't it? It it does, and you know, speedway is an adrenaline-driven sport, and when something like that happens, and you just feel you've been wronged, I mean, it's it's, it's tough to control your emotions. Why wasn't you on the BSBA board when I got fined for that? You'd have paid me a few quid. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking for? You're looking for a rip. <laughs> no, I had a letter and everything. I got a fine, a big fine after that as well. I think I got about a thousand pound fine at the end of the day. Did yeah, you know? something like that. Can't remember the true extent of wow. it, but I was punished. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're still talking about it now, Cal. So. As you say, you know, it's it's a good... And, and I tell you what, actually, he never, to... ever come anywhere near me after that. Well, there well, you go. The you made your point then, didn't you? You got, <laughs> you got through to <laughs> it. Yeah, the message was, the message was loud and clear. Um, just another incident. Talk to me about streaking in Australia. <laughs> that, that, was, that was class, that. That was... Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a, a fair few of us. There was me, Jono. I was staying at Jono's in Australia over the winter, doing a bit of skidding over there. And John O's dad was with us, Dave Cheshire, Rob Wolfingdon, a young Ty Wolfingdon. In fact, Ty would only be about two-year-old then. Uh, Marshall McDermott, Lee Redmond. uh, Was Screen it? No, I don't think Screeny was there. But there was a fair few of us from the Speedway fraternity. And we went to Perth Glory, Melbourne Knights football match. Right. Uh, there was about, there was actually 17,000 spectators there. But what we didn't know was <laughs> it was live on TV and John O's mum was watching. <laughs> so, you know what <laughs> so we'd, we'd obviously had a few beers. Um, no. 
And me and Jono, I don't know what happened, but me and Jono just looked at each other. It must have been 40 degrees. It was red hot. It was beautiful. We both had a beer in our hands. <clears throat> Sunglasses on. And we just looked at each other and I, we just ragged off. We just stripped off, completely start bollocked. And I was just in front of us sat in this compound with all these kids, you know, about the same age. The dads had took the kids to the football. And we just launched, we threw our clothes at Ty and just legged it, jumped over the barrier and legged it onto the football pitch. And we just run and just waved and run and waved. And then John saw the match ball and he went and stole it. He run like, a proper rugby player he did when he got a match ball and he was weaving in and out of all the, the other footballers and we dived in nets at the other end. <laughs> anyway, as soon as we get, as soon as we get us out of... Uh, we, we kept our underpants with us. That's the only thing we kept with us, our underpants. And when we dived in the nets at the other end, Jono, he, we walks out the nets, Jono puts his underpants back on and gets collared by the security. But the security got me before I could put my underpants back on. <laughs> so they've got me, I've got my arm up my back. And we walk, we're walking past the main grandstand and all the crowd are stood up giving us a standing ovation. They're all cheering. And I've got my boxer shorts like in my left hand covering my balls up. And I just thought, it, and I just waved at everyone and showed them all me, everything what I'd got. And the crowd went metal again, like, it, it was brilliant. And then we, you let it all hang out. And then we, uh, we ended up getting locked up in like a big dog wagon it was, you know, the big cage on the back of it. Yeah. Uh, and we, we were, an, we were handcuffed, we were handcuffed now, right? We were handcuffed. And Jono, he, he stood up, and I'm trying to do it now, and I don't know how he done it, but he got out of his ankles, out of his ankles. He got his, he sort of pulled his arms down under his ass, down by the back of his legs, and then he got his feet through, you know, his hands there, and he had his hands at the, the front of him instead of being at the back, and I'm right. like, you clever bastard, how have you done that? So I tried doing it, but got stuck and fell forward, right? And he had me head in his nuts. We were sat opposite each other in the back of his paddy wagon. And he had me head in his nuts, but by now all the supporters had started coming out of the stadium and they're all shaking this van when we're in it. And I'm like, stuck with me head in John O's nuts. So we get us to the police station and we got given uh, ladies' tracksuits. <laughs> Mine was purple and John O's was pink. <laughs> so we get in this room and we're getting interviewed. And this and this 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 cop has got this badge on and it said his name on it, acting sergeant. So we start shouting at the pair of us, right? He gives us an hard time. So I says to John, I says, Don't worry, mate, he's only acting. And he's not. <laughs> he went mental. <laughs> That's quality. <laughs> anyway, uh, John O's mum had seen us on telly. 
So when she knew she had to sort of come to the football to pick Jono's dad up so he could come and bail me and Jono out in it. And she did fair play, Lorraine, <laughs> lovely. It was very kind of her. But Jono's dad weren't too happy. <laughs> we had to go to court over it, right? <laughs> and we... Did you have any clothes on when you yeah, were Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was an Aborigine went up before us. And he got he'd been done for drink driving and spitting in a, a police in a policeman's face. And he I can't remember the sentence he got, but he was dead lenient. And then me and John Ogolf and the judge started shouting at us. Now there's a woman sits behind a glass window who does all the typing of what's going on. And right. I looked up at this glass window and we're telling the story why we did it and how we did it. And I looked up and she's laughing. <laughs> and I saw her laughing and I just burst out laughing. <laughs> the judge started giving me a right bollocking. John was kicking me under the table. <laughs> John O's old fella gave me the biggest bollocking I've had in my life. <laughs> we actually got out of there for laughing. And I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't help it. It was her. She was laughing. <laughs> I think we got fined. I tell you what, all my life's about fines here. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Carl Stone, you are fine. I'd be rich. What on earth Are you looking for a refund for that one? <laughs> I tell you what, that $400, but it was the four hundred, the best $400 I've ever spent because mm. it's still a good story and I still yeah. laugh about it to this day. Well, it's a great story. It's, it it's was the funniest story. thing I've ever, ever, ever yeah. done. And in, you know what? In these troubled times with the virus and everything else and everything that this country's been through and is going to go through over the next few months, we've got to laugh. We've got to enjoy ourselves and have a laugh. And stories like that, you know, you, some people are listening and go, oh, that's disgusting. That is disgraceful. I mean, for me, come on, I'm not condoning it. We were just lads being lads. Just lads being lads on the beer, having a great day out. Well, you know, he didn't harm anybody. No, no, no. But, you know, when you get a, 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 the, the daily newspaper and you get a cartoon in it. Yeah. Well, me and Jono was a cartoon in, like, the Western Australia Daily Post or whatever it was called. And then it had a write-up about us. It, it, it was in it twice. It showed a, there was a cartoon of us when we did the street. And a little story about us doing it. And then a week later, there was a cartoon of us both sat in court. And the judge is shouting, I don't think it's funny, is coming out of his mouth. That's when I started laughing. And there was a little bit. So we made the national press and everything. We made the TV. Even my mum saw it on the uh, 10 o'clock news at night and she rang me up. What have you been up to? Mind you, that group of lads that you were you you you, you were together. I mean, when you were reeling off those names, I'm just thinking, mate, there was no chance. You had to get in trouble with that with those lads all together. You know, it was just a recipe for disaster. Really, you know? But there's no rogues amongst them. They're all wonderful, wonderful people. Good friends, absolutely. 
Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. I think you have some fabulous memories. Yeah. And uh... when you when you talk about lads that you you've you've knocked around with, you've been with, you know, such super super fellas like you say, Screeny, you, Jono, some of your teammates down the years, Dicko at Long Eaton, you know, all all great people and. Uh, you know, I think it's only probably when you look back all those years ago, Carl, that you appreciate it a little bit more, perhaps. Hey, I've got some of the, 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 the greatest friends in the world. I've got so many friends and, well, I think I have. <laughs> you want to wear what the yeah. on your back? Well, <laughs> no, I've met, I'll, I'll, I'll put it another way, I've met so many bloody good, lovely characters over the years. Mm. Right. And yeah. and Speedway and, and it's all because of Speedway and Schoolboy Grass Track. And friends for friends life, for life. Jono. Yeah, he's in Australia, Jono, but he's, he's a, a friend, friend for life. life. He's still keeping touch on yeah. uh, WhatsApp. Yeah, screen here. Yeah, well, screen the other week. Speak yeah. to him. I yeah. speak to him all. Yeah, it's brilliant. Not, brilliant. Nigel rings you every week, doesn't he? You know, no, he doesn't. He only rings me when he wants some at Kelvin. <laughs> <laughs> right. My target for this year, Kelvin. Right? Yes, Nigel. You're, 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 a, you're, a, you're a virtual witness. Okay. Right? I am going to message Stoney on Christmas Day and wish him Happy Christmas and tell him I don't It's want probably anything. a group chat that on Facebook or something that you're going to do. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, my friend, from Nigel Kerry and all the kids. Cheers. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, send us a card instead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to cost money. No, I did that once, you know, at Christmas. I sent it to a load of colleagues on the radio talk sport. Just a group text to everyone. Wishing you a great Christmas, mate. Speak to you soon. And Jason Cundy, who's the, um, the sports bar host on a night, ex-Chelsea and... Um, Ipswich and Spurs footballer, he sent me one back and said, piss off, that's a group text. That's not very sincere. I thought, well, he's done me there. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Shall we talk about some Speedway? Because I did, it, it oh, meant to yeah. be about Speedway a little bit. Yeah, I forgot about oh, that. Oh, yeah, that's right. We all sort of got sidetracked with those fabulous stories. I just have I just well, 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 That's just going to liven yeah. people up big time. Um you you started riding for your hometown club, Bellevue. Um, what are your memories of riding for Bellevue in Manchester? Well, I used to go to Bellevue as a, a, the old Eyed Road it was. Yeah. Uh, and Mort was my hero, Chris Martin. I loved him to death. Yeah. I've even got a little doll of him. I've still got it somewhere. <laughs> An old lady made me a little doll of Chris Martin. He's brilliant. Does he know that? Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and he was just my hero. And I remember the thrill and the smell and the noise, everything on a Saturday night at the old Eyed Road. And that was all I was going to be a speedway rider. Yeah, and brilliant. then I started off as a 16 year old. Well, I was still 15 actually when Bellevue moved to Kirky Lane. Right. But I was 16 halfway through the season in May. Did you never ride Hyde Road then? I rode it once on a 500, the very first time I got my 500. Yeah. And I rode it a couple of times on the schoolboy grass track. 
Kelv, did you ride in the last ever meeting? Yeah, I did. It was, it was a knockout cup final against uh, Bellevue. Obviously. Yeah, it was, uh, and I was lucky enough to get uh, to get to ride there a few times before it shut because it was, you know, it was one of my favourite tracks. In actual fact, I rode Hyde Road in a junior match for Wimbledon very early on. Um, and then rode when I was riding for Wimbledon. I rode up there a couple of times, and you know, when by the time I got to Coventry and started going a bit better, I remember, you know, having a real dust up with PC and more around there. I mean, it was just oh, it was awesome. The old Bellevue I Road was awesome racing track. Oh yeah, I used to love going there watching Cradley with Gundo. Mm. You know, Eric was there every time. Every time Eric rode against PC and more, and you got to remember Stoney as well. For the Aces, who who did well around Hyde Road in particular, Kenny McKinnon, Larry Ross, you know, there was loads. Larry Ross, I remember Larry Ross eat one. He always started off with his wheels touching the yeah. white line. Yeah. Always, yeah. but Kenny was a good signing for them, you know. And Mark Courtney early in the eighties as well. So some some riders. I remember going. I remember going Hyde Road. Right, I think it was a Thursday night, and it was absolutely chucking yeah. it down. So we went queuing up for BLRC tickets, me and my old man, Brian. And we're queuing up and uh, it was round at Bammy's office on the home straight, the back of the home straight. And I run through the tunnel to the start line because I could hear the speedway bike. And it was chucking it down. And there's two tractors. There's a tractor on the outside of the pits bend and a tractor on the outside on the first and second bend. And Andy Campbell was riding round in the rain. Ah, he was another rider I was going to make. Another good signing by Bammy. And I'm like, what? Like, I was a kid then. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? There's tractors on the track. <laughs> <laughs> you could never have got away with it these days. And oh, it, no. it was lashing it down. We got wet through. And I remember going to the BLRCZ. You used to, all, you used to have to squeeze in, didn't you? You had to squeeze yeah. up. You had no room at all. You had to sit on your dad's knee or anything. Just to get no in there. No social distance in them, pal. It wasn't. No, no. It wasn't. I remember going there uh, with my brother in 1988. Neville rode with me at uh, Coventry, and we went up there early in the year. And you know, then pits around there. The whistle, the wind was whistling through there. Hey, I've got a good story about your Nelvin. Okay, mate. <laughs> Nelvin. Okay. Nelvin. <laughs> yeah, good. We'll get on Nelvin. to that. No worries. And I just looked. At Nelvin, yeah, Ke- Kevil <laughs> and Nelvin, um, uh, good brothers they are. But no, um, <laughs> Nev the Rev, and he was—I was looking at Nev. He weren't too revved up, and uh, he was. I said, "This is tough up here. It's proper, you know. It was cold. It was damp, and uh, he went out into that track, and it was—it could be overwhelming because it was quite an imposing stadium, wasn't it? When you oh, uh, I remember riding around it in the schoolboy grass track, and obviously there was no crowds in there, but the echo. You know, yeah. that it used to create around the stage. Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, it was special. But uh, no, he, he weren't at his best that night. But I, I actually, once I got going, I was a bit quicker because you had to have some you had to have some real go in your motor around there. I mean, crikey, it was a bit different from riding to Wimbledon. But once I got going, I, I loved going up there. But Yeah, it was what a place, special place. Yeah. But Kirky Lane, when you went to the Greyhound Stadium... Obviously, that was entirely different, but it was good that Bellevue Speedway kept going. It was important that that happened. Well, John Perrin obviously took it over, didn't he? And he went, he took it over to the Greyhound track. And <laughs> I, I had so many fallouts with John Perrin. You're, you're not the only one. And 
it wasn't just me, but he was a lovely bloke. He was a rough-ass Southoldian. <laughs> but he, he put his heart and soul into Bellevue Speedway and every penny he had. Oh, hey, and, and the thing is with John, he's, he, he, a spade was a spade. He said it how it was. I remember one night. And he upset every bugger. Somewhere there one night, right? And Michael Carlson back then, or now known as Michael Max, was walking into the Bellevue pits at Kirky Lane and John Perrin said, Oh, you! And Michael looked and his eyes were wide open and said, Oh, no, what have I done? He went, You're nowhere near as good as your kid, you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) It was hilarious. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with John Perry and I, and and the track at Kirky Lane one night was absolutely appalling. There was stones coming up at the bottom of the. Third oh, it was house bricks. You'd want a track, coming. and you'd be a, an house brick corner. Stuck oh, up. mate, and house brick corner, house brick corner was coming on, and I I went up to him after my first or my second ride. I, I never really liked the place anyway, but like. I come in and I just got hold of him and I said, this is a disgrace. I said, Bellevue is a historic club. And I said, you're letting it down. And I was riding for Bradford at the time. And next night, it was a Friday night at uh, Bellevue and then Saturday night at uh, Oddsall. And he come in and he comes straight over into my pit bay. And I thought, here we go. We're going to kick off again here. And he came across and he said, I've taken on board what you said. I'm going to sort that out. It really hit home with him. What? It really I... did. And fair play. Then I suddenly saw a different thought, side to him. I thought it would you. Well, <clears throat> I, I thought we were in for a bit of drama because I'd come off the track and I was furious because it was dreadful down the bottom there, you know. He had to, got to turn hard. It was a long time. He, 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 he looked hard as nails as well, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. The way you come across, the way you strutted about. <laughs> yeah. And I remember he came strutting into my bay and he was actually quite apologetic and that surprised me. And I thought, well, fair play to him. He didn't need to do that. Ah. But that corner down there, house brick corner down the bottom there, I tell you, that was that was quite exciting because that's a long straight down the back there, wasn't it? It is, it is, yeah. And then it's a bloody tight corner, that third corner, third and it fourth is. corner at the old Bellevue. I can remember one year, I went there with Coventry, I got two page three. And the Commonwealth final was there. And I thought, well, there's no way I'm getting to the world final this year. Because I'm just not going to go. I I went up there. I drove up there. I thought, this is a waste of time. I may as well break down on the motorway and just not show. You know, just be a no-show. Mate, I won the meeting 14 points. Don't know how I did it. Even to this day, I've got no idea why it happened. But probably because I didn't care. Probably that's why. You know, Yeah, that's why, yeah. You know, I I was totally relaxed. I thought, I'll sod it. Whatever happens, happens. Amazing. <clears throat> no, so then, obviously, then I started riding off as a a sixteen year old at Kirky Lane mm. for the Colts, and I got a few outings for the the Aces, but I was always a heat leader. It was you know when someone was missing, whether to be injured or what have you. Right. And he put me in as a heat leader. I remember going to Kings Lynn. Well, I had a good meeting. I scored points in my first meeting. And then I went to Kings Lynn away and scored some good points around Kings Lynn. I think I even beat Lance King, who was riding for them at the time. Right. Good effort. <clears throat> but Screeny was, he turned 16 just after me, but was 16 for 
the beginning of the season and he started off in the team. Anyway, I got given a chance. I don't was it 89? Yeah, you were 89. I got given a chance to ride for the Aces full time. Okay. And I think I got a five and a half point average in the old British League. Right. Which weren't bad then, really, I don't think. For no, a sixteen-year-old, no, 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 that was yeah, half sensible. Yeah, it was a good. Yeah. You had a couple of you had a couple of visits there because obviously you went back in in the early nineties. Won the league with but, them in ninety-three uh, at Wolverhampton. Yes, what effectively was yeah. a player. Well, I done that well in my first year in eighteen yeah. eighty-nine. John Perrin couldn't fit me in his right. plans, and I went yeah, to Wolverhampton. I remember that, yeah. I went to Wolverhampton for a year and I loved it down there, but I had a I had a bad accident. I broke uh, five vertebrae in my back. And ironically, it was at Wolverhampton riding oh, against wow. Bellevue. Wow. <laughs> wow. So uh, that laid me up for six months. Mm. And then I went, I think I went back to Bellevue the year after, but confidence was low because I had such a bad injury. Yeah, sure. Um, but you, you, and then you went back in 03 as well. I don't know how successful that up. was. That was, oh, the track you go on about. Oh, the track was so rough then. Mm. And and Crumpy was there. Crumpy would ride anything. Yeah. And he, he was just an animal, wasn't he? Yeah. You know what I mean? He just used to get on top of the bike, right at the front of it, and he'd, he'd be on the top of it, and he'd just well, wind it on. And tank, wasn't he'd it? bounce over every bump there was. Yeah. No one else could do it, just him. No, he was in a class of his own round there. I, I was surprised, but, you know, it was um, it was a not the great place to go. The reputation of Bellevue at that time, I must say, was a bit dubious, yeah. to be honest. Well, that was the year when the doubling up could start. You know, first started the doubling up. Yeah. And I thought, well, if I can double up for Bellevue, it saves me going to Sweden and Poland every week. Yes. Yeah. You know, and Bellevue is four miles up the road for me. Yeah, that was Andy. So I started doing the doubling up with Bellevue. And then I said to John Perry, and I said, John, I said, put me in every way match and leave me out of every old match. <laughs> The track was that bad. <laughs> I'd rather go to Ipswich, Poole, Eastbourne than ride at Bellevue on a Monday Max, night. Max carried on going to Sweden and Poland. Yeah. I know I had. Yeah. We had before that 03 season, though, obviously, I would say, you tell me, because you had the three years in the GPs, which was um, must have been a hell of an experience, but. Uh, and also, you were the only Premier League rider to do that. It was quite a story in itself. Just tell us a little bit about that, how it went for you, and how you coped with it, really. Oh. Well, it all started off, really, in 99, my first year at Workington. And we'd had a few... Working at, Workington had just opened. We were riding at Newcastle on a Monday night. And I was booked to ride at Wolverhampton in the British qualifying round for the World Championship. And I tried to pull out of the Wolverhampton to go and ride for Workington because they were shorter riders. Oh. And I got fined with a... I got a threatened with a 28-day ban and a fine. Yeah. So I went down to Wolverhampton and won the meeting. 
uh, and then it just all sort of seemed to carry on every round. It just, you know, I, I got through and I qualified. And next thing you know, I'm in the Grand Prix Challenge. Where was that? Lonigo in Italy. Lonigo. Yeah. Brilliant. And what was it? Ian, Ian Thomas was in your um, corner and he just, and you said, but the Grand Prix are on a Saturday, Ian, and I want to ride for Workington on a Saturday. Didn't you say? Well, yeah, well, we, we got we got a lot of ego, and I, I was getting through the meeting, you know, I was banging the points in and getting, it was the old system where you, you had to yeah. finish in the top two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was banging the points in, and then Ian says, to me, I'm sat on my bike getting ready to get pushed out for a race, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm a ride away here from being in the Grand Prix, but Workington's my bread and butter. Yeah. And Ian says to me, yeah, you won right away. Go and win it. I said, I don't want to. <laughs> he said, why not? I said, I, said, I don't want to. I said, I said, because I'll miss too many meetings for Workington. Yeah. He says, don't you worry about Workington. I said, I'll start Workington out. You won't miss a meeting. Go and win the race. And he was true to his word. And I won the race. I won the race. And that was it. I was a Grand Prix rider. And we used to ride on every Sunday. When when there was a Grand Prix on, Ian changed race night to a Sunday. Sunday. night to allow you time to get... So I always yeah, got back really, for a meeting. He was true to his word, wasn't he? And, and... He was true to his word, but he was good for me and yeah, I was no, good worked, for him. It worked both ways because... It worked and, and he, he was like a second father to me. Yeah. You know... It, it, it was brilliant. And it's a, a God's only true story, right? After Ian's passing, we had so many arguments along the way and we were best friends and we'd fall out and then we'd see each other again. It's just like seeing your dad, you know, and you yeah. it's all forgotten yeah. about. No, it's brilliant. And after his passing, I was driving my truck past uh, where he lived. And I thought, I'll call in and see Dot, his wife. So I parked the truck at the end of the road. Right. Walked down the road, knocked on front door, and Dot answered. Mm -hmm. So I had a brew with yeah, her. Nice. <laughs> and I just said to her, I said, do us a favour, Dot. I want to see the office where Ian used to sit when he used to ring me. <laughs> right? Because he used to ring me at all sorts of times at night, 10, 11 o'clock at night and what an hour. <laughs> so I walked in this office and the office was empty. It was completely bare apart from one picture on the wall. And it was massive, this picture. And it was me. It was of me Brilliant. and him. All right. And I thought to myself, why me? It could be Barry Briggs. It could be Ivan Major. It could have been Kenny Carter. Yeah. Why me? Mm -hmm. And I was quite blown away with yeah, that. Yeah, you must have been quite touched by that. Yeah. Well, I let was me tell very you, touched with it. I do know, right, the extent to which uh, Ian went to to get you to work it than Carl. Because, Kelv, Carl hated Exeter. And, of course, that was a speedway track around a rugby pitch. So... Yeah, I went there, mate. Yeah. Don't you worry about that. I, I, I've had experience yes, with yes. that steel thing. And what do you reckon of the place, Kelvin? No, well, look, it. 
Just get, just no, no, no. Back to the point here. <laughs> he was uh, wanted by Sheffield. Sheffield wanted to keep Carl in '99 because he'd had such, such a good season there in '98, and was forced to move there after Long Eaton had closed. And Sheffield, including TC Harrison, their team sponsors, with our pal David Ogger Stoney, were desperate to keep you. The, yeah. the club, the sponsors, that you know, they wanted to keep you at Sheffield. And then, particularly when Tomo invited you up to Derwent Park and you saw a speedway track with a rugby Well, I wanted to stay at Sheffield, but I was told well, there was no place for me. Oh, right. I wasn't aware of that. I, I know. Yeah, I was told Sean was okay. going to Sheffield. Well, anyway. And right, there was well, no place for me. Escaping me there. But I, I do recall when, because you'd become a Workington rider by virtue of the Tony Mole contract situation, Tony was long eaten promoter. And therefore, you automatically became a Workington asset. But I know that you weren't keen at first when you walked into Derwent Park and saw this speedway track around a rugby league pitch, which, and you first thought, was Exeter. I'm going to wait this. But Tomo, Tomo really made an effort to get you there. And of course, you ended up turning the Christmas lights on in Workington. You were, you know, you were making opening shops. And, you know, you, you just became the, the biggest celebrity in Workington, didn't you? Well, actually, my missus just pointed out two trophies we've got, sat slate trophies that we've got on the uh, the TV unit. Cumbria Sports Personality yeah. of the Year, 2001, with my name on it, and Cumbria Performance Award, 1999. Two lovely Cumbria. slate trophies. Nice that you've kept them. No, Cumbria, my girlfriend's from Cumbria. <laughs> She is, yeah. Now, we go up there and I've got, there's so many friends up there. It's it's amazing. It's a, it's a different life. It's like having two lives, you know what I mean? You live in Manchester. Mm-hmm. But don't forget, when I rode in Workington as well, I also lived up there for 18 months. And as part, okay. of, the as part of the arrangement so, for this podcast, we're going to be doing a Tatum, Pearson and Stonehewer live show in Workington, when we can. Well, Are we? Well, you, 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 look, you said to me, what am I going to get to in this podcast? I said, me and Carl will come to Workington and we'll do an evening on stage with you. Oh, oh this is just gold. Right, you've got to come via Manchester not- and pick me up. <laughs> this is gold. This is gold. Are we? Are we? It's news to me, mate. I think he'd have a drink when we did the deal, Kelv. I think he'd have a drink. <laughs> deal. I tell you what. I do you a deal. <laughs> That's the question. Go out and win this race, Tony, and I'll buy you a pint That's in the bar afterwards. <laughs> yeah, but he never went in bar Give afterwards, did he? Give me a call back. We'll have a deal. Yeah. <laughs> Kelvin, I'll get you a for 50 quid, Kelv. How's that sound? Oh! No, mate. Oh, I'm never going back there. Christ, I did it once, mate. What a night! Stoney was lined up one year for Telford and didn't like the track, so he said, "I'm not going to ride." But they set him a, a set of jobs to go around the stadium. One of them was announcing a race, and I was in the announcers' box, and um, and um, <laughs> and then he left this note for a request, and um, and and. <laughs> And it was from a, it was, thanks very much, Mr. R. Soul. And I read it. 
No! I owe you for that film, you Still owe you back for that. <laughs> years later, mate. I've not forgotten. Mr. I've forgotten about that. Yes, Mr. Arsehole. I tell you what. Uh, dear, oh dear. Good friend. Good friend of yours, no, I suppose. Yeah. Stitch me up. He did there, Stone. You straight up. <laughs> but you, you obviously had a smashing time at Workington. And quite clearly, I don't know if they, they, were, they were the best days of your speedway career. What do you think? Most right. definitely. The place... Ian Thomas and Workington transformed me. You know, like you, you got you got to Workington, and and I knew exactly what I'd been put into the stadium, how much it cost to lay the track and everything, and <laughs> the amount of money Tony Mould put into the place. And on opening night, you just couldn't. All you could see was a sea of people mm. coming towards the stadium. I think there was over 5,000 yeah. there and all yeah. in that. Yeah. Got his money back. Don't worry about um, that. But, oh, he, oh, I know he got his money mate. back. Fair play. And it's tough now when you think that Derwent Park is closed, you know. And... I know, because, well, he, he maintained, like, after that first meeting, he, he went down to 4,500, I think, for a couple of weeks. And then he, he sort of levelled out at three and a half thousand every meeting and then it went down to two and a half thousand every meeting. And then, you know, people started dwindling away. There's things that happened. There was recessions and the steelworks had closed and people had lost their jobs. And the support started dwindling like it does in every sport, in every town, I suppose. Certain things affect it, don't they? But it is it is a shame because obviously you you were there in those glory days, and it was incredible. Well, I felt as though I couldn't let anybody down. Whether if I went to the British final at Coventry, there'd be three or four coach loads that'd come down from Workington, plus all them that had gone on the cars in the cars or on the train. Riders final. Yeah. Hey, Grand Prix used to get two coach loads of people from Workington supporters go to a Grand Prix <laughs> in Big Gosh. You know, it, it was me- it was just yeah. mental. It was an incredible time. It was, I, I was, I, I've got to have been one of the luckiest supported Speedway well, riders they, in the British League. They're lost to Speedway now. That's what I find sad. They're lost to Speedway and, and Derwent mm. Park... Derwent Park, they took the Speedway track out because they were going to have rugby league and football and the new super stadium for Workington now isn't happening by all accounts. So why can't, you know, why can't a promoter go in there because they dug the Speedway track up? Do you know what? Do you know what? I went, one of the last times we were, well, it was about six months ago, we went up to Workington and we were in Weatherspoons. Um, I got talking to a guy called Dick who he was with two lads, Dick, right? And Dick used to work for Tom Armstrong's my old right. sponsors. So I seen him and recognized him, went and sat down with him and these two old boys. They're in the sixties. Yeah. And this guy says to me, who was sat with Dick, he says, uh, do you know what, Stoney? He says, uh, you don't know me, but 
I oh. dug the speedway track up. No. And I went, I, I, I ripped into him, right? And he said, it was Are you saying job. Armstrong was took the speedway track up? No, 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 I'm not saying Armstrong's took the speedway track up. I, I saw Dick, yes. who worked for Armstrong's, I think, sat I with understand. two old boys, his mate. And this guy, I don't know who he worked for. He worked for the council or a subcontractor or what. He had nothing to do with Thomas Armstrong's. Nothing to do with it. He was told to go to Derwent oh, Park dear, and dig all the shale up. Oh, that is... So, so is it left now, the stadium's still there? Is it just left now with a... Well, you'd have to relay the track. Well, you've got the rugby club. You'd... It's not just a case of uh, they've chopped every post off, every fence post around the track, and there's about a foot. You'd have to start sticking up. So you, you've got to dig. You've got you've got to dig every fence post up around the place. It cost a lot of money to put the place right again. If way ever was to return, would love the revenue these days. And the, and the, by by digging the speedway track up, that that mm. I can't see a promoter going in there. And sinking money in to bring Speedway back. I can't. And I I offered the last year I offered uh, to help Laura if need be, but she actually produced a fantastic yeah, team but, that yeah, won everything. You know what I mean? She did a grand job that last year. And that's the sad part about it. That is the only time Workington have won everything. And then the bloody yeah, place but, shuts. But what a track. It was an awesome track to ride. And then third and fourth bends. I still I have dreams about riding around that I, third I and fourth there. Bend I rode against you there, actually. I think about 02, something like that. And, uh, Who won? Yeah, I I wasn't completely in love with it. I, I thought the first corner was horrible. It was narrow going in, and then it opened up. But it was yeah, but you didn't know how to ride I, it. I you think see, you one, so I did sort of got it got it right then. But then you then you oh right, well you, it must have been heavy. You must have covered me in Calvin, shit. Calvin, I couldn't Calvin, see you so much. he's forgotten that. I, <laughs> I did beat you in League One, but then you subsequently slaughtered me in League Thirteen and Fifteen. Don't Too worry about that. Uh, but the way to ride, the way to ride Derwent Park, right? Was you rolled the first and second bend with your front wheel on the grass, and you rolled the third and fourth bend in the banking on yeah. the fence. Yeah, it was great. I remember the, that that sensation of coming off Turn Four as you come down that tight. Quite a skinny straight, actually, as you went over the start line. It was quite with the stadium, with the stand there. Well, there were long straights. You got some speed you up did. and all down there. You did, yeah. And it was almost like running downhill. It was running downhill into turn one, wasn't it? It was a tour. No. Not like Berwick. <laughs> oh, oh, Berwick. <laughs> but you obviously, you obviously got to grips with it, and you were, you were the master of that track, but. Did you find it an issue sort of travelling backwards and forwards from, from the GPs to ride on a Sunday? Was that tough or did you manage that okay? No, it was tough because I'd get back. Uh, I'd, I'd probably, Gareth Parry used to sort yeah. all my flights out. <clears throat> and I could get back in England anything between 10, well, it'd be half past 10 in the morning 
till two o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then I'd just get... But if, if I landed at half past ten, I used to go home, get in bed, but, you know, for an hour's kip or something. Oh. But I never slept because I knew I had to be up and yeah. back up the road. I was... But... That was the way International Speedway was, whether you're old, whether I was riding at a Grand Prix on a Saturday in Bidgosh and Workington on a Sunday, or I was riding Zalonagora on a Sunday and Exeter yeah. on a Monday. It was just part mm-hmm. of the job and getting up at three o'clock every morning with an engine. Yeah, that was hard work, wasn't it? That was probably- it was hard work, yeah, and you were flying everywhere and fitting engines when you got there, and it was just non-stop, and the only time you slept, like, I'm not a great sleeper in a car or on a plane, I can't, I have to I lie down and sleep. on a plane, Kelv? No, you do not, I think it's, it's disgusting, actually, I, I don't want to... But you probably popped up, uh, was it, Kelv? Uh, well, yeah, we normally was you popped the up? spoons at Heathrow on the morning of a grand, uh, the day before a Grand Prix. Oh, mate, it's it's quite embarrassing. It's quite embarrassing. Hey, what are the prices of weather spoons in the airport? No, are you no, cheaper? You taking the mickey? Like they are on the high street, but then they're they're not overinflated like some airport places are. You know, they're I'd say. Like, well, not, not, Nigel tends to take advantage of weather spoons on the way to any Scandinavian Grand Prix because obviously there's about eight pound a pint when you arrive in Scandinavia. So pa- weather spoons, weather spoons, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, weather spoons at, at Heathrow or Gatwick, I'd say four quid, Cal. Hey, I tell you what, I tell you what, talking about, uh, I stayed in Sweden talking about mm. expensive drinks. Stayed in Sweden. I used to stay in Eskilstuna, yes. I rode for. I used to stay in a hotel there in the town centre. And he just used to leave me in there, so I'd have a wander out. And, you know, if I had on a Monday, if I got there on a Monday after riding in Sweden, uh, yes. Poland on a Sunday, got there on a Monday, I'd have a wander out and a walk around town and have a few beers around town. And the management got to found out, find out about it. So they started putting me up in this sports hotel in the middle of the forest. And because it was a sports hotel, he never sold alcohol. But for me to get to the town cost me 30 quid in a taxi ride. So you're looking at 60 quid taxis and six quid plus a pint. And I used to be in this hotel and I used to think, is it worth me going out just for a couple of pints? Is it worth 100 quid? (laughs) And I thought, you bastards have got me right stitched up here. (laughs) 50 quid a pint, that might... Yeah. We've yeah, done yeah. that, <laughs> We have. Hey, I remember I remember me and Billy flew in, Billy Hamill, we flew in once from Poland. And we had a beer at Copenhagen Airport, like you do, and then we got on the next flight, had a beer on there. And Christina, Billy's wife, was picking us up. Because Billy lived right. in Eskilstuna then. And we were both riding for Eskilstuna. So he says... Uh, Christina, I'm going out with Stoney for a pint. You don't mind, do you? No, 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 no. <laughs> Christina came in this bar and dragged Billy off <laughs> the bathroom and out in his bar and left me, right? So I'm like, Whoa. and it was late and we're riding next day. 
No, I goes to Billy Boys, which right. was the kebab shop. <laughs> right. Ordered a kebab and fell asleep <laughs> in there. Right. And he, and he couldn't wake me up, but I didn't know any of this until the next night. So we'd gone to this meeting and me and Billy had top scored, both in right. each 16. Over there, right? Both of us <laughs> top scored. And we're like, and the track was as deep as anything. And we're like, have we done that? Right, couldn't understand how we've done it. <laughs> anyway, goes back to uh, Billy Boys for the kebab. <laughs> Won't let me in. I'm like, what? Have we been lost night? Like, yeah, that's why you're not coming in, mate. <laughs> they were all sat in Billy Boys eating the kebab, and I had to like, eat mine outside. Asleep again. They couldn't wake me up. They'd been slapping me and poking me and shouting well, at me. I mean, that's couldn't wake me up at all. I'll tell you what, now, if you, if, I suspect if one or two of the present day Grand Prix riders were listening to this, they'd be, a, they'd be shocked and stunned into the preparation for a speedway. Can you imagine Bartos Marsley falling asleep in a kebab house pissed? <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, but I did the job the next day. If you top scored and did the business, nobody can moan at that, can they? But do you remember when we stayed at the airport hotel because we flew to Gothenburg for a Melilla Grand Prix stone and um we said, Ah, there's nothing out here, it's Friday, we don't have to do anything on Friday, we don't need to be at practice. So we got a, ca- a taxi into Gothenburg City Centre, Carl, uh, and we decided to go to the Something yeah. Arms. Um, anyway, it served nice fish and chips and Guinness. So I got the taxi there, 45 quid. We then had, we then had about six pints each and a fish and chips each. Bill came, 70 quid. And yeah. Taxi- well, that was all right. Was that was reasonable in Gothenburg. It might have been a, yeah. it might have been a ton. Anyway, uh, Kelv got the taxi back, 45 quid. We'd done 200, 200 quid on one night just to go and have some fish and chips and a pint. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. ridiculous, isn't it? No. I couldn't live over there. We had a good time, but it is a dear old place to go out and socialise. And it's a weird place because they go up to the bar and they, they, they buy themselves a drink, don't they? They, they don't buy a red on they buy, they I've noticed it several times, and they just go up and they buy themselves a drink, even if they're with a friend or the mate. You know, they buy their own drinks. They don't. They don't. It's a different way of doing it. And when I was riding out there, we stayed in a town down where Peter and Michael Carlson lived, and it took about four or five years. There was nowhere to buy alcohol in the town. No off license. And I remember my mechanic um, Lars. He said to me, "Oh, next week we have the big opening." I said, what's that? He said, there's a bar opening in town. I said, oh, well, that'll be it. And he said, yeah, but it's only on Fridays for two hours. I mean... And you're I not mean, there on a Friday. Yeah. And even going in an off-licence, all the booze was locked behind glass windows and you had to sort of make a list and then go to the checkout and then they would allow you to have it. But it was a, it was a strange attitude to alcohol there. You know, it wasn't the same as over here. It's eased a bit now, but... It, it, Are you there? Are you there? Hello? Somebody Hello? want to answer that? I love you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're here. No, yeah. I'm talking to you. I lost you. Is he talking to someone else? It all went off. Oh, right. Okay. I thought the phone had, back now. I thought the phone had run yeah, out right. and get Alison to answer it. Okay. Well, well, you missed all the bit about alcohol in Sweden and uh, 
riding out there. But Carl, I want to I want to move it on a little bit because you you obviously had some a period of time at Long Eaton. Um, you went to Redcar, um, but. When you were racing, believe you were racing. Two thousand and five, that right? yeah. Six, you had a bad crash there. You had a bad crash. You had. Yeah, no, uh, two thousand and five. Excuse me. It was against Isla White, and boy, 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 he had. Uh, he came up to me before he fifteen, and his his back end had, had broken, and he put a jubilee clip on it to hold it together. Right. Anyway, we goes into the third corner, flat chat at Workington. <laughs> and I got actually done on the speed camera there. Right. I was doing 74 mile an hour going into the third bend with with a speed camera. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, Ian had the speed yeah, camera from the police that. one night. So you're going into that, you're going into that, Third corner at work into the 74 mile an hour. And boy, he's come up the inside of me. And he's just took off. Mm. Whether his Jubilee clip came off or what have you, I don't know. And he rolled into me, but as he rolled into me, my arm, <laughs> the tyre caught my arm and just dragged my arm into his wheel. Back wheel, yeah. So my arm's gone underneath. His mud guard. Back, back so my wheel. arm is between this, his tyre and his mud guard, and my arm's gone right under there. And I've still got hold of my bike, and he's still trying to ride through it, even though I'm stuck in his bike. And I'm still upright on my bike, up riding it one-handed. And I can feel. Mm. And I looked. So I'm looking at my arm getting ripped <laughs> to shreds. And I looked up, and the next minute we're just riding into the fence. But as he crashed, he's still got his throttle on. So his back wheel's going through my arm. And then he pulled his, mm. he, he realised what was going Tearing on, pulled his arm. foot out. And uh, next thing, like when the bike stopped, it backfired and just spat my arm back out. And I was laid there, sort of sat up in this position when we crashed, because that's the way I was forced into it this position and I'm looking at my arm and I just waved wow. over the, the, the uh, right. Dr. Butler and the paramedics because I was buggered, you know what I mean? I was in a hell of a lot of pain. Freak that hurt. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, you came back, he though, put me you? off that and I didn't want to ride again. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I thought I'd done my time. I was never going right. to get back in the Grand Prix. I was never going to be world champion. I was top of the av round about the top of the averages when the accident happened. And then uh, I thought, is it time to call it a day? So I did. And then I got divorced. Okay. And... I needed a bit more money okay. than I was getting doing a normal job. So I started riding again. And the thing was, the funny thing was, I didn't intend off to ride. Kevin Little was having his testimonial meeting. Yes. Was it his testimonial or his fellow? Mm -hmm. Testimonial it would have been. 
he was at Red Car at this time. He rode for Berwick. He did he? ride for Berwick, but he was riding for Red Car. He was having was his it? testimonial okay. meeting at Red Car. And he mivered me and mivered me. And when I mean mivered, he pestered the living daylights out of me. But me and Kevin are good mates. We roomed up in uh, Dubai right. once when we went on a trip over there with Graham Drury and Ian Thomas. So we're mates. And he pestered me and I'm like, no, 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 yes. no, no. So eventually, I give up with him, you know what I mean? He rang me and I said, yeah, all right, I'll do it just to shut you up. And there was me, Dicko, Peter Carr, <laughs> and Kenny McKinnon. And we had three races together, the old guys. Right. And I scored a nine-point maximum, but mm -hmm. I was on it. And I enjoyed myself. So yeah. I should have been going home to work. That was on a Friday night, and I should have been going home to work, to work on a Saturday morning. Anyway, when I got up on Saturday morning, I rang work, pulled a sickie, and drove over to Northside at Workington, the junior training tracks. Had a few laps around there. Yes. Then I rang, after that, I rang Ian Thomas up and said, Ian, can I come down tonight? and do a few laps after the meeting. He says, no. He says, you can come up next week and I'll pay you some money. 350 quid it was. I'll pay you 350 quid and you can do a demonstration ride before the meeting starts. So I did a demonstration ride, got a faster time than eat one. And then <laughs> Edinburgh wanted to sign me. Brilliant. And I'd done a deal with Edinburgh. Okay. That straight after this Saturday night, right? Sunday, I'd done a deal with Edinburgh to go and ride for them. Yes. As soon as I'd done a deal, Ian Thomas rings me up and tells me, I think it was Kenneth Hansen had broke his collarbone and he needed a replacement and I could fill his shoes. So after Ian, I've done a deal with Edinburgh, there's no chance. Right. He says, who would you rather ride for? I said, you don't have to, you know, I don't have to tell you that. He says, leave Edinburgh to me. He says, what are you paying you? I'll pay you more. So I told him what the deal was and he, he sorted it all out. Right. And I went back to Workington. And I had another they play. Well, that year I went back. It was the year I went back after these, you know, after Kevin Little's testimonial and the, this demonstration ride. That year later on, I was at the Scottish Open and I brought me back again. Um, <sighs> and I ended up in Livingston Man. Hospital for four days. So that cut the season short, but I was having a that year back. I, it was like I'd never been away, really. I was still banging all the points, and it was good. Then I went back to work in turning, so that'd be 97. Yeah. Went back to work in, no, 2007. Went back to work in 2008. By then, I was riding like padded up to the hill, you know, with all the protection on because. 
I kept getting, you know, I obviously was getting older and wouldn't take the knocks. Because the only thing I used to race with protection-wise was a box and a back protector. But once I started using all the padding, yeah. I was never comfortable on a bike. No, it is a difficult one, that isn't it? I know that um, I remember riding and some of the body protection, you know, some of the stuff the motocross boys used. I tried. No, you, you, you restrict your movement. I never felt and comfortable in it. You, 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 mm. you feel bulkier. You just don't feel comfortable. Yeah. No, you don't. So. When was it that you finally? Well, it was the year after. It must have been. Was it shortly Red after car. that, or did you? Red car. Keith Denham left me out of Workington. Rightly or wrongly, he left. He left me out. You know what I mean? I wasn't doing. I wasn't the rider I was in two thousand and eight. So I got a chance to ride at Red Car two thousand and nine. And we're going to this meeting, the first meeting of the season at Berwick. And it was snowing. It was snowing at home before we left. And it snowed all the way up there. <laughs> and I rang Berwick up. Yeah. And I said, surely to God, you're going to call this Very off. Cool. I said, it's not snowing here. And it snowed all the way up to Berwick really? by about 10 miles away. When we got to the stadium at Berwick, there'd been no snow. But it was thick snow, you know. And by the time I got there, I was detuned, I think. Uh, it was absolutely freezing yes. cold. I thought, what am I doing? And then there was a foreigner. Never heard of him before. He was. I was off gate four. He was off gate three. Never heard of him before then. Never heard of him since then. And he... He took me right into the boards on the first bend, and I thought, what the frig am I doing? And I was riding round at the back in that race, and I just thought, that's it. Okay. First race of the season. I knew then that was it. I was calling it a day. And you knew? You knew? I was going to see the year out. I'd agreed, to, I'd agreed to contract, so I was going to see the year out, and that was it. I was calling it a day. And when you look back on it now, do you have any regrets or did you think you enjoyed it all the way through? You know, could you have done things differently? Or If, if I'd done things differently, it? I don't think... Well, things might have worked out differently, but I wouldn't change nothing. I've, I did it my I way. You. I don't blame you. I've enjoyed myself. Ridden at Cardiff. Ridden at Cardiff. Ridden all over the world. I've seen so many beautiful places, yeah. met so many beautiful people. Yes. I've done more. You know what's hard now, right? I'm a delivery driver. Drive a truck. And you go into somewhere and you, you know, like mm. a company. And the blokes. The, the, the warehouse bloke's got a chip on his shoulder and he thinks he's better than you or bigger than you, better than you. And he talks to you like a piece of shite. Mm -hmm. Right? And I look at him yep. and 
I'm ready for snapping at him. You know what I mean? Because uh, I won't. Let, I won't be spoken to. I won't let anybody speak to me like a piece of shit. But I look at him and I just think, yeah, you've been a warehouse man all your life. And I don't have to say anything. All I've got to do out. is think about what I've done, where I've been, and all my friends. Yeah. I tell you what, I I I hear you loud and clear because I our, our careers overlapped, and like I didn't always agree with the way you went about your business, but that was up to you. Um, and and you did it your way, and you had every. But right I never won a British final, Kelvin. What I will say what I will say right now is you. No, but let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. You were one of the most naturally talented British riders. During that period, you had Screeny. Carl Stonehewer was always a rider that you could never underestimate because you might think he was a bit of a fool or you might think he wasn't really concentrating. But when that green light came on, he, you knew you had somebody that was going to be very useful. And I, I, I always admired the way that you had a natural, it was an easy style. You were brave. You represented Great Britain in the Grand Prix. I mean, you rode on the continent. Well, coming from I mean, you, Kelvin. I'm proud of there, Carl. I'll definitely. That's music to my ears. That is fun. Thank you for pulling me up like you just did. I'm ve- I feel very humbled and proud for someone of your stature and ability no, I, I, to have I, I, commented I on me like you just have done. Well deserved. Well deserved, Carl. I can remember being privileged to be able to commentate on Grand Prix and Carl Stonehill was on the lineup, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was, I was in, I had a lot of respect for the fact that you'd got there and you'd done it against the odds. You know, there'd be people in the pits going, "Who is this?" No, they couldn't. No, no, no. I couldn't probably even pronounce your name properly. Fact of the matter is, is that you, you, you did that, and I mean. Nobody's contained no. that bloke. Well, I tell you what, though, it, it doesn't matter don't, if I'm riding a speedway bike or having a game of snooker or pool with you. I've always got a win. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's great. And listen, don't don't snap at that person who's looking down his nose at you. You're doing the right thing, Carl. Just think about your Cardiff appearances, the, the way you were a hero in Workington. You know, the traveling the world, making lifelong friends. You know, what you've done there, it might not be happening anymore now, and you've got a new life, but you've got friends for life. And people like me who always... When, when you want something, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what? Do you know what? I had Friday I off something. work, right? So, Friday, Friday I had off to help my daughter-in-law move home. So I says to Alison, I says, right, I'm going fishing yeah. Monday this weekend. Don't forget... The dishwasher's coming on Saturday morning, right? So it's took me two days to fit a dishwasher. <laughs> you wouldn't understand. Have you ever tried to fit one? It was a different size, so I've had to make a, a table for it to sit on, right? It was hardwired into the wall, so I've had to put a plug socket on. Then when you put the plug in and you put the dishwasher in, the dishwasher sticks out. So I then have had to put an extension and everything in. And the Right. And then the table I made was that perfect. I couldn't fit the dishwasher in. So I've had to make another table. 
and just before you rang me, I'd finished actually fitting it. It took me 24 hours to fit a dishwasher. Well done, that man. Well done, that man. <laughs> I you're a bit, hey, I you're didn't a bit give, I didn't give up. I died swearing at her and said, you're going to have to get someone. Fit this. I would, I'd, I'd pay the, I'd have paid the <laughs> extra for him to fit it, Cal. Come on, there were no instructions with it. Oh, fantastic. No, so I so haven't been fishing. Been fishing. Working, mate. You'll have to go tomorrow. Next weekend. No, I'm up at four, up at four tomorrow morning. Lying. Yeah, thanks. Well, okay. good on you. Good yeah. on you. Oh, it's been fun, mate. Look, it's been Carl, fun. It's been brilliant fun. And and, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up pretty soon. I, I know there's an awful lot more that we could chat about, and I'm sure you've got plenty of good stories. And we may well come back to you and revisit Stony Part Two. But um Stony Part One has been it's gonna be a great listen. Um I I know that Nigel and I are both very appreciative of you giving your time. Um, as I say, you're a cult hero. There's no doubt about that, uh, and, and I'm sure there are, you know, as you say, there, there are fans up in, in, particularly up in Workington, that will remember your efforts for an awful long time. So, thanks ever so much, and um, whatever. Well, thank you, you very are, much, Kelvin, and all the very best. Some lovely words from yourself about my myself there as well, said earlier. Very. I'm coming from well, a man of Kelvin stature. It means a lot. Yeah, I'd say it myself, but it, I'd say the same words myself, Carl. Did All my it? words mean nothing to you, do they? <laughs> you only want me when you, you only <laughs> ring me when you want something. <laughs> Listen, I'll raise a glass of Guinness. No, it's been great, myself. boys. I've actually yeah, thoroughly enjoyed that. myself. Yeah. I was very nervous beforehand. Well, I, I think it's no, done okay. No, I, no, we're going to look after you. We won't. Been brilliant, no, brilliant. Been we'll, we'll have a it's we'll have a great night on stage in Workington, which you claim you mm. didn't know about, but you did. It was... <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll watch out for the watch out for the Tatum, Pearson, and Stony show coming to Workington. All right, no problem, boys. Thank you very much. Mm. Cheers, lad. Cheers, Carl, lad. Cheers, mate. Bye. Well, no, it's um, great to chat to Carl again. Um, the stories he's got to tell, I'm sure there's an awful lot more he could go into. And uh, we didn't actually get to, to the story about my brother. I would have liked to have known a bit about that. I think I, I don't know about it. But there's no doubt that he was a, he was a, he was a real character in the sport. I think he was, he was loved by fans because of the, his... He was a charismatic guy, wasn't he? He was a bubbly chap. He, he communicated well. He was one of the people in lots of respects. Everybody loved him at Workington. Everybody loved him at Long Eaton, at uh, Sheffield. You know, he, he's loved by everyone, Kelvin. I, I take your point 100% about you didn't necessarily agree with the way he went about his business as a speedway rider all the time. No. Uh, and I take that point 100% because, you know, you were, in many ways, Kelv, you were the, the opposite direction to Carl in that mm. you were just a straight businessman, weren't you? You were a hard-nosed speedway well, rider. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I wasn't out drinking till late and eating kebabs and falling asleep in kebab shops the night before <laughs> I was going to go racing. Yeah. You know, I just couldn't have ridden. To be no. honest, night, I just couldn't have done it. No, no, no. Tony was, and, 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 you know, if he turned up and did the business, well, who am I to criticise that? You can't, can you? No, no. 
And he's Tony, I tell you, what, with all that facade and all that drama going on around him, as a, as one speedway rider looking at another one and commentating on him, Carl Stonier was a very good speedway rider. He was, and I agreed with what he said. You know, naturally gifted, and but mm. you know what? Especially in this day and age, Carl, where there's a lot of misery going on in this country at the moment. Yeah, you know, and I'm not going to go into. All I say is, you know, it's a much better place when you don't look at the news and you don't, oh, you don't, put, about it. you don't put the telly on or Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, or whatever, and, and read the news. You know, there's a lot of a lot of hard times this country's going through, and probably will continue to do so as a consequence of of the virus. But yes. listening to Stony, you know, just you forget what's going on for an hour. You just He's he's absolutely. Right. I was going to use the word. His enthusiasm is infectious. Then, but that's not quite the right phrase to use at a time of a pandemic. No. But but um, no, he's a wonderful character. Great company, um, and I've always loved being around him. And and mm-hmm. I'm pleased that he's settled now with Alison uh, back in Denton, and um, you know he's got a job. So. You can't do much more than that. And and like he said about, you know, he's a delivery driver and he sees sees the warehouse manager looking at him like a piece of, what is it, on the end of his shoe. Mm. Um, he's got those memories. The best that guy's been is a warehouse manager. Nothing wrong with warehouse managers, don't get me wrong, but that's his achievement in his career. Carl Stone, you were road for his well, car. Well, yeah, exactly. And travelled the world. Yes, and he can get back in the cab and far off and drive away. And he can just remind himself, yeah, yeah, but I've ridden all over the world. And yeah. I've, you know, and I've represented my country. I rode at the highest level. And I know that he's had some difficult times. Um, I think that's, 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 I don't, I think an awful lot of people understand that. But as I say, Carl Stonier is a guy that I respect. And I, I think that um, to have him on, on a podcast uh, with this, I think uh, I think a lot of people will will be chuffed to bits that we've spoken to him, and they will identify with a lot of what he was chatting about. Yeah, and actually, there was one time, Kelv, where you weren't doing Sky, and I ended up doing the Isle of Wight versus somebody for Sky Sports with Stony as my co-commentator. Yeah, and I should have mentioned it in the podcast there because he was terrible. He yeah. was- <laughs> literally, literally, he he was. Um, I remember it, Nigel. He went finger me in blue. Yeah, finger me Bob in blue. Yeah, riding it, right, him in red. Think what's his name in red, and then finger me Bob in blue. And we <laughs> drove back together because Carl left his car at my house in the Midlands. Yes, and we drove back together the next day after we'd stayed over. And he said to me, "Do you know what? That was more nerve wracking than lining up in my first ever Grand Prix." Really, trying to do the TV. He said he was bricking it, yeah. and, he, and he couldn't he couldn't handle it. He just couldn't handle it. I no. think he might have been okay in the studio, yes. You know, analysing the racing, but as a commentator, he just he admitted it. He couldn't handle it, and he was more nervous for that. Yeah, appearing on television as a commentator, it was. Yeah. I, I tried to help him desperately, Kelv, as I do, but he just yeah. could not handle it. He was a bag of nerves, absolute yeah. bag of nerves. Well, he even said about this podcast, he was nervous before coming on, but. You know, I think he was pleased that it was like three fellas having a chat around the table in a pub. And I think that suited him down to the ground. And I th- I think we, we, we got the best of him, you know. Yeah. And, I, and there's more to come from him. And, and who's to say that we won't have another chat with him later in the year, you know, because I think um, he, he, he there's another hour in him, definitely, you know. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, we need to save some for the live, for the live show in Workington, though. <laughs> yeah, we do indeed. We do indeed. Well, but anyway... 
I'm looking forward to that. I am looking forward to that very much. But wrapping it up, I think that was a really, it's going to make a great listen. And I'm chuffed yes. that we could yes. talk to That's Absolutely. And, and again, just a quick nod to everybody else, all the clubs in Britain and various podcasts that are doing the rounds, doing great work, guys, all of you. And uh, hope mm-hmm. you enjoy listening to ours as well. Um, and stay safe, everyone, and keep smiling. Absolutely right.